Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Last week we did a bit of an introduction to this new part of the book of Romans. New, I say, because Paul is transitioning, and we looked at that before, this topic, this theme, the subject matter of the sons of God comes up for the first time, very first time in the entire book of Romans. We did some of it in an introduction last week, and we still, I don't know that we're going to get really deep into the matter of the children of God themselves. Still maybe more of an introductory way this morning we'll look at this text. Look right now at verse 15. Do you see a four-letter word in the middle of that verse? Starting with an F and an E and an A and an R. Fear. Now, you know, given the subject matter all through here, that might be a surprising word to even want to focus on this morning. I mean, it seems like there's so many other things here, so many things that are true of a child of God. But, you know, as I read it and I read it and I read it, before I want to enter into a lot of things that do have to do with the children of God, I want to focus on that word, fear. Do you see What the word fear is related to? Can you see any connection whatsoever with fear and another word right there in verse 15? It is the word slavery, bondage. Now, you know, we really should not be surprised whatsoever that Paul would hit us with this word. Not at all. Because if you think just a little bit, repeatedly in Romans, in Romans 6, 6, 6, 7, 6, 11, 6, 12, 6, 14, 6, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 6, 22, 7, 14, 8, 2, you either have direct or indirect references to man's slavery to sin. Now, in a lot of ways, it deals with our freedom from it. But freedom from it, no doubt, alludes to the fact that there is prior to that freedom, a bondage to it. Now listen, by nature, we are held in bondage to the slavery of sin. And there are a lot of you in this young people, there are a lot of you, older people, visitors, you come to us, you're wondering, well, what is this church all about? You come in here today, but the reality is this, 
Though you may be coming to church and though you may, you may realize, well, you're adding a little bit of religion to your life, I want you to realize this. A lot of you are coming to this place today and you are not like Tyrell. You have not yet been set free. You are yet in this bondage. You are in bondage. You are held captive by a master and that master is sin. And I use sin with a capital S. I'm not talking about sins as in specific sin. I'm speaking about it the way Paul speaks about it. Sin. Not having dominion. The wages of sin being death. He speaks about it as a force. An evil force that exerts itself to bring you under its control. And you are a slave to it. Now look. I'm not talking this morning about just some distant, unrelated doctrine of Scripture. I'm talking about your slavery. You specifically. I'm talking about you. Maybe you say, I'm not a slave to anyone. But you see, I'll tell you this. Your desires give you away. You know how I know that? Because Romans 6, 12 says that sin seeks to dominate by using your bodily desires. Your desires, your corrupt desires give you away. You say, I'm not a slave to anybody, but look what you want. Look what you desire. Look what you, you yearn after. You know what? I mean, if we just cut... Cut to the root of the matter, folks. Don't play any games. You know when you look at yourself what you desire. I mean, you wake up in the morning, you know what you desire. You know what you think about. You know what your head's filled with. You know what you use your life to pursue after. You know that. I mean, you can look at yourself and you know with the utmost of desire, your greatest desire in life is not to love God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. You know that's true. You know there are some of you sitting here right now and you know that you desire money more than you desire Jesus Christ. You desire sex more than you desire God. You desire to have your own way more than you desire to have God's way in your life. You know that. So, you know, we can just cut through all that. You, those desires give you away every single time. And do you know what else gives you away? Your fear. We saw that there in verse 15. Fear goes hand in hand with you being a slave to sin. Fear goes hand in hand with slavery. You might say, I don't know, I'm not, I'm, I don't really see that connection. I'm not, I'm not certain about that. I mean, when I'm controlled by lust or by sports or by covetousness or by pride or by selfishness or by greed, when I'm driven by a love for other things more than God, a love for my kids more than God, a love for other things, a love of, 
of the applause of men more than the approval of God. When I go after those, when I desire after those, when I yearn after those, I'm not really making a connection here with fear. And maybe some of you sit there and say, yeah, I felt lust before. I've lusted after a woman. I didn't feel fear with it. In fact, anything, I wanted to gratify that lust. And I didn't feel fear. Oh, but you do. If you think carefully with me, you do. There is fear attached with sin. Think about it. And you'll admit that there indeed is. Because deep, deep down inside, you know, you know that six Romans 6.23 is true. It says the wages of sin is death. Sin kills all who it controls. The writer of Hebrews says this, through fear of death, men are subject to lifelong slavery. Men are not only slaves of sin, they are slaves of fear. Deep down, men are gripped by the fear of the wages sin will soon pay them. Look, I want to take your minds immediately to a matter of the utmost importance. My aim this morning is not to tickle your ears, but to tell you the truth. The life each one of you is living right now is soon going to come to an end. Hebrews 9.27 tells you that. It is appointed for you to die, and that death is moving upon you quickly. Your days are going by. Somebody just told me, I saw it in an email yesterday, January 2008 is already gone. It is history. You see that wheel is rolling faster and faster and faster and death is ahead of you and your time is appointed and it is coming. God tells you that it is already appointed for you to die. And you know what? Men typically do not like to think about their death. Do you know why that is? Of course you do. Because Hebrews 2.15 is... True. It speaks of the fear of death. And you know it. You know there is fear connected with death. You know there is. Men don't like to talk about or think about their own deaths because it terrifies them. Death scares men. In fact, it frightens men as much or more than anything that frightens the sons of Adam. And I don't need to convince a single one of you in this room that this is true. This isn't something you need to be taught. We know it. You know how we know it? We've all felt it. It's true. It's real. Man by nature is plagued by a sense of his own mortality. Death stares every man square in the face and the clock is ticking. Your time is running out. We go to the funeral home and we see that dead thing in the casket and it reminds us cold and stiff and dead and deep down in the innermost parts, the most muscular, the most stout hearted man on this earth 
has to push away that icy cold reality deep down inside him that reminds him, you are mortal and you are going to be there soon. You ever drive by? I, I noticed when, when we went to that funeral over there on the west side. Very interesting. We came out from the funeral and you notice... Some of the guys, you know, dressed real sharp, and they're down there and they're smoking their stogies, and they've kind of removed themselves from everybody. As I was driving down uh, Walters the other day, I, I, saw, I went by and there was a funeral, and same thing, you know, sharp dressed guy, way removed out there behind his Cadillac, and he's got. They want to get out of there, they want to get away, they want to get thoughts back on the things they're pursuing in this life, back on women, back on their money, back on their pursuits, back on their agenda, back into the other things. Get out of there. Get away from that distance. We don't want to think because even though that man may stand there and he may look stoic and he may look like he's got his whole act together, he knows the time is running out. He can try to forget. He can try to put it aside. But he does know. He feels it. It's there. Man, woman, child, you are dying. You have a disease, a disease of such devastating effect that it kills all who have it. All. That disease is your sin. You have rebelled against the Most High God and you must die. Bank on it. Which one of you can say that you have never lied? And right there, right there, that's why you must die. Sin. And there's more than that. You know it. The Bible speaks to us about those dwelling in this region or sitting in this land of darkness, the shadow of death. That's us. Have you realized as you drive around in this world, everything dies? Everything dies. Every person dies. Every animal dies. Every plant dies. We are literally in a world shadow of death. The sun shines, we go out, we walk through this world, we say, we... Oh, if you will look around, folks, death thing was never natural. It came later. It was not part of the original creation. It is the effect of sin. It is a blight on this creation. Death. And it's everywhere. It's around us. It surrounds us. Everywhere. Every it dies. Do you know what keeps those famous movie stars and those professional athletes from really being able to enjoy all the money, all the worldly glory, all the fame, all the mansions, sitting beside their glamorous pool, drink in hand? You know what keeps them from really being able to enjoy those things? They know it's temporary. Something inside them tells them they can't keep this forever. They're Buddies that played football before are dead. They played back so long ago they were famous. Now it's some old dusty picture somewhere. The trophies have dust on them. Those old asses, yeah, they got a star somewhere, but they're in the ground now. And you know what? The none can keep it. They can't 
enough money to buy their way out of debt. And deep down, every man knows that. All he's got is temporal. And it nags him. It sits there and it whispers to him. Your time is coming. Your time is coming. It's, it, you know, we hear about it. We hear. It's a, it seems like it's eyes the other person. You know, they get the answer. They, they, your day's coming. Your day's coming. It's going to be you. We can't, we can't throw this off. And, and you know what the most terrifying thing, the thing that really scares about death? Their conscience tells them. There is God. A God whom you have offended. God who does indeed cast unrepentant sin into a lake of fire. Conscience tells him that. And his conscience is constantly accusing him and accusing him. And he knows in the end there will be hell to pay. The Bible speaks of this. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. There is a terror. Men should be afraid. If you're in here today and you do not know Jesus Christ in a saving way, you should be very afraid. Very, very afraid. Listen, I know there are places you could go this morning that would seek to make you laugh. And that would try to build up your self-esteem. But we're not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. Many of you are in serious trouble. You are in serious trouble. Many of you. Look. Did not send our church here into this inner city. To have people come in here and tell you. That God's happy with you. Pleased with you. Smiles upon you. And has a wonderful plan for your life. No way. He sent us here to tell wicked men that they should be afraid. But there is a place of deliverance. There is in that. Look, your sins are filling up. They are filling up. God isn't going to let you keep on going forever. There is a point when God is going to look to you and say, enough. That's it. You know what he said? A long time ago, he said, it's not time to send Israel into the land of Canaan because the sins of the Amorites were not yet full. There comes a place, folks, when God tolerates your sin no longer. They fill up and that's it. We like to hide death in this country. We tuck it away in hospitals, nursing homes. We don't like to see it. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to witness what it's like when God says to a sinner, enough. Have you ever been there when a lost man or woman died? We got these nice TV drama pictures of the fornicator and the drunk and the liar. They quietly, peacefully pass off into eternity. 
Oh. They fear and they struggle and they fight for life. And God says, thus far and no further. And it's over. And He cuts them off. He has had that axe laid to the root of the tree. And He says, enough. And sit there and you can try to convince yourself none of this is true. A God like that doesn't exist. This isn't real. You can try to convince yourself I got lots of time. I'll deal with this another time. Oh, how many are in hell that thought they would deal with it tomorrow. The days of sinning are going to come to an end. Your days. Do you really think God is going to allow you to go on sinning like you are right now forever? And you know what? Some of you, some of you, you sit in here. Your sin isn't a case of lust. Your sin isn't the drug addiction and the alcohol. Maybe you're able to glide in here and you watch at lunchtime and a bunch of people come in, old harlots and smelly crack addicts. You look at that and you can feel pretty good about yourself. But I'll tell you what, that isn't going to protect you from death. A little bit of religion, a little bit of righteousness. Some of you, your problem is self-righteousness. Some of it, it's other sins. You prize things in your life more than Christ, more than Christ's commandments, more than God. Deep down inside, you know that that's true. And you know how you fear there. It still nags. It still tugs. It still pulls on you. Folks, 1.32 says that they do deserve death. They know it. But they still do it. Why? I mean, why in the world would you stand out in front of a truck roaring down the highway, a big semi loaded with tons and tons of weight, and it's barreling down on you? Why would any man or woman in their right mind continue to stand there in the middle of the road? Do you know why you do? Because you're chained there. Your own sin holds you there. Because even though you know what you're doing deserves to be slaughtered by this monster coming down the road, you love your sin. You love it. And your very love of it keeps you standing right there where it's going to run you over. You're like the person who is chained and a monster is coming. You can see it coming. But you can't, you can't move. You can't get away. You're, you're caught there. You're stuck there. You can't run. You can't hide. There's no shelter. You see this monster squallowing up others. And yet, there you stand. 
And you know what? The thing about being chained where you are is it's not like you're chained and trying to get away. You like the feel of the chains. You coddle those chains. You feel good about them. You love them. And that monster's coming. Its claw is reaching for your neck even now. And your sin has you anchored in a spot where you can't get away from that claw. It holds you fast. You're chained. You're never able to resist sin. It holds you right where death can reach you. And it reaches that person every time. And some of you, some of you, that claw is going to lay hold on much sooner than you think. Only the Lord knows what young person in this room is going to be the next one to go. You know, in a group like this, one of us here, folks, is the next one to go. And it may be much sooner than we think. You ought to fear. Men love to print this thing, you know, on their bumper stickers, on their t-shirts. No fear. You know why they put that there? Because they really do fear. They try to convince themselves there's nothing to fear, but all the while they do fear, and they ought to fear, because there is something to fear. Now folks, our text, Romans 8, 14 and 15, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And now Paul is going to tell us a glorious reality about these sons of God. Look what he says. He introduces them, sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery. They don't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In verse 14, there's the introduction. In verse 15, look at what it says about them. They have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now think there. Think about that phrase. To fall back into fear. Think about what that means. That means they used to be there where the fear is. But now somehow they are being kept from falling back into where that fear is. That's where they came from. They were gripped and controlled by fear, but something somehow they have become children of God. And in becoming children, they've somehow been released from their former slavery and the fear that went with it. Where there used to be... Now, now check this. This is what this is saying. Where there used to be slavery and fear and approaching death and an angry God and all the terrors that go with that, there is now adoption and sonship. The Spirit of God exerts His almighty influence in such a saving fashion as to keep the children of God from ever falling back into the realm of sin and slavery and fear from which they came. Now verse 21, folks, of the freedom of the glory of the children of God, or the glorious freedom of the children. Something has happened that has set these children of God free. 
Death is coming. They have been freed. I mean, it's like the person that stands out there and the truck's coming down the road and they're chained and they can't get away. But something has happened. The chains are freed. They've been given wings. They fly away. And death does not come upon them with its fury. There's freedom. God is now, in this portion of Scripture, viewed as a loving Father. Instead of that previous terror and death and sin and foreboding and dread, this text tells us there is now love and peace and sonship and freedom and glory. So, what in the world, or what out of this world, happened to these folks that they should be able to get out of the snare they were in? How is it that the snare is so they are escaped? How is that? How do you get this spirit of adoption rather than the spirit of slavery and fear? Well, I'll tell you something. Do you know what most people do when the fear of death seizes them? Do you know where they turn? I had a friend in high school. I'll tell you about this. His mother got terminal cancer. And you know what she and her husband did? They packed their bags. They flew to California and they found some cult leader in the mountains of California and they went there. You know why? She was afraid. And she was looking for a way to escape her fear. I've thought about that woman many times. Guess what her flight back to Michigan was like after that week? Afraid and probably more empty and more hopeless than ever. My stepfather, diagnosed with terminal cancer, fear gripped him. Off to the Methodist hospital he went, or Methodist church. I'll tell you this, I was there at his bedside when he died. That Methodist church didn't do a thing to take away his fears. He died in terror. You know what? I know a lady who read a book on hell. She got religious for a little season. I just heard about a man who learned of his wife's terminal cancer just a week or so ago. Guess what? He's going back to church now. Do you know what happens when men are confronted by this fear? So often, when they gripped by it, when it comes upon them, men try to clean up their lives. Religion, they look to the arm of the flesh. They try to they panic. They look this way. They look that way. Where can we find help? And they, they rest right here. What can I do? How can I clean my... They realize this monster's upon them. Because they've been told they've got terminal cancer or they've been shown else is dying. It wakes them up to this reality that this fear comes back to them. They're gripped by it. It's coming. The monster is reaching for them. And, and, and they got these chains wrapped. Instead of trying to do something about the chains, they're trying to wash the dirt off. And here it comes. It bears down. Folks, 
men try by their own works, by their own religion, by their own efforts. They try to escape death and hell and fear, but they never do escape any of them. Look, no Catholic, no Mormon, no Muslim, no Hindu ever finds an escape to his fears in those religions. Do you know why? Because what they fear is always still after them. It's never turned away. Because no matter how much you work, no matter how religious you are, no matter how good you try to be, you never know if you've done enough. That's where the fear is. This nagging fear of unrest and turmoil of soul are ever present. Not even the popes, not even the clerics, not even the Hindu priests know that it's going to turn out well with them. Because there's always this deep nagging. Have I done enough? Have I done enough? The fear is there. Death is coming. Have I done enough? It's pressing down on them. Always fear. Always a sense that more is needed. More must be done. The conscience ever accusing. The slave is driven forward. Ever forward. Driven on. Trying to appease an angry God and never knowing when it's enough. When have I done enough? And the reason there is always and ever this gnawing feeling, this underlying fear, is because it's never enough. It never is enough. Never. Foolish, foolish, deceived men and women and children, boys and girls, you can never Become a son of God by your own efforts. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because He suffered. He it is that brings many sons to glory. And through death, He destroys the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And delivers all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Don't you see, dear people, being made a son of God and being brought as a son of God to glory, being delivered from the power of death, delivered from the fear of death, having the hope of the eternal glory. It is never found in anything that you can do. Our righteousness is filthy rags. Baptism has never washed away the fear of death. Counting beads, saying prayers, coming to church, giving money, helping the poor. None of these things ever remove the guilt, the sin, and the fear of the death that goes right along with this. Many of you have heard of this woman named Mother Teresa. Have you not? Probably everybody. This woman tried as much as anybody ever tried to escape death and the fear of it and the foreboding and what was coming by good works. But you know, for all Mother Teresa's religion and all her hard work and all she did and all her catering to the poor and all her giving that she did, listen to her own words at the end of her life. These are her words, not mine. How cold, how empty, how painful is my heart. All the holy things of spiritual life are all so empty, so cold, so unwanted. In my soul I feel a terrible pain of loss. God not wanting me. Of God not being God. Of God not really existing. That darkness that surrounds me on all sides. I can't lift my soul to God. No light or inspiration 
is my soul. Heaven, what emptiness. Not a single thought of heaven enters my mind. For there is no hope. What tortures of loneliness. Let me ask you something. Is this what we find in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and following? Do we find coldness and emptiness and pain and God not wanting us and God not really existing and darkness and no hope and tortures of loneliness? Is that what we find? Folks, that's the religion of demons. And that's all the better it ever gets. That's where men and women end up who try to stifle the fears with their own works. This last portion of Romans 8 shows us true Christianity. It shows us what happens when Jesus, that glorious one, crowned with all the glory, actually sets men free and makes them, invades their life, bursts in on the life of a sinner and makes them a son of God. Just look at verse 16. God is not darkness. There isn't any doubt about His existence or His love. It's His Spirit in us and we know, we exult, we burst forth with spontaneous cries. Abba, Father, there is endearment and love and closeness. Does this anywhere speak of emptiness and poverty of soul and tortures of loneliness? Look at verse 17. It declares the sons, not to be rich and empty, they're sons. These sons are to be heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Verse 21 speaks of the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 24 speaks of hope. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, to take them and make them sons and daughters of God, to give them His Spirit, to bear witness that they are loved, to give them freedom and hope of glory, to strip away all the darkness and the loneliness and the fear. This is no longer this foreboding, fearful thing, child of God, because it's no longer ushers in wrath and judgment and terrors of eternal fiery punishment. But death for the child of God means glory. It means face to face with the Redeemer whom we love. It means seeing God. It means my sins are forever wiped away. No more to be plagued. All glory forever. Immersed in joy. Unspeakable and full of glory. It doesn't produce fear. Paul said... Man, I want to die. I'm looking forward to getting out of here. I've got some Christians over here I better I need to be concerned about and minister to, but man, I'm caught between this. I know these are God's people. I need to care for them, but I want to go to be with Christ. And that's what death is for the Christian. Immersed in perfect love, no fear, no bondage, no slavery, all freedom, all triumph. As John says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. But for the child of God, there is no punishment. Jesus Christ has been punished in their place. He took what men fear. The living Christ, the God-man. He took this fear. And I'll tell you what, it was fearful to Him too. It shook Him His very soul trembled under the weight of this nightmare of the sons of men. It gripped Him in the garden. 
He said, Father, if it's possible, let this, let this depart from me. He recoiled. Nevertheless, Your will be done. He went through with it. He pressed on. But He came face to face with this monster. Death. The fury of an angry God. That separation. That wrath. The billows. The waves. He came face to face with it. Christ did all that was necessary to make us sons of God. So the question this morning is this. Do you desire to be a son of God? Maybe some of you are here and you're like Tyrell was not too long ago. You're searching. You're looking. You desire to be. Listen. If so, listen very carefully to John 1.12. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Je- now listen. This is important. Only Jesus Christ gives the right to become a son of God. No man gives that right. If you've ever been to a church and you had some man tell you and guarantee you and assure you that you are a son of God, he has no right. Only God has that right. Only Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh, has the right to make you, to declare you a son of God. And who? Who does this happen to? He doesn't give it to the nicest person or the good person or the religious person. It's not the famous or the beautiful or the rich. Jesus Christ gives this right to become children of God to all, to any who receive Him, who believe in His name. It's that simple, folks. Receive Him. Take Him. Hold on Him. Trust Him. Call out to Him to have mercy upon you. He is your only hope. He's the only one that can deliver you from that monster. This church can't do it. It can't. Owning a Bible doesn't do it. The only value in this church or in the Bible is as much as they point you to Christ. That's it, folks. He's your only hope. It's there. He's a mighty Savior, this Christ. He is. He alone can vanquish men's fears. He dwelt or dealt the death blow to death. He has. You need one who has power and authority and ability and the love for you to come and snap those chains that hold you in that road with that truck coming on. And He is the one. God has given it no other name under heaven, folks. There is no other name. God has given one who has the ability, the authority, the power to come loose you. Nobody else. You're stuck in those chains unless He frees you. He's the only one. He must snap those chains, crush that monster death. He's your only refuge. Here's the thing, folks. If you will not have Christ, then what you fear will come upon you. You have pleasure in your sins. You may. They may be fun. 
But beware. It's only for a season. And death will have you. And God will say enough. One last statement and I'm done. It is not to say that you are a child of God. You must actually be one. Some of you that say you are one, you're not. I don't say that because I know specifically. But the Word tells us chaff and wheat, they grow together. It's not enough to say that you receive Christ. It's not enough to say that you believe Christ. You must actually do so. Now, the Bible doesn't leave us all in a cloud of darkness about this. In fact, this part of Scripture we're looking at right here has, just in verses 14, 15, 16, and 7, four very distinct marks of a true Christian. A true child of God. God is concerned that His children know they are His children. And He's concerned that if you're not a child, that you know you're not a child. And Lord willing, from here, we are going to look at those four characteristics, those four marks of what a true child of God is. Let's pray. Father, I know slavery and fear they grip some of the people here and our prayer to You has been and will continue to be, Lord, that You would allow this church to be a savor of life unto life, a savor of freedom, a savor of rest and assurance. Father, we pray that Christ might have glory through making more sons of God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.